Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to ADAP Prevention 365 podcast, uh, where prevention is every day in every way. Today, we have a special episode. Uh, we're partnering with the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health, SAPSI, Substance Abuse Prevention Control, because it's National Prevention Week. And today, we have three fabulous guests. We'll talk about the workforce, the importance of our work, and why we're so passionate for it. So uh, let's introduce ourselves, and uh, we can start with Christy. Hi, everyone. Great to be here with you today. Happy National Prevention Week. I'm Christy Zamani, Executive Director for Day One. Charles Porter, and I'm the Project Coordinator for United Coalition East, which is a program of social model recovery systems. Good morning, Stephen Cagle. I am with the CORE Center, Connecting Opportunities for Recovery and Engagement in Inglewood at Curtis Tucker Wellness Center, and I'm part of Substance Abuse Prevention and Control. Awesome, and again, my name is Marlon Pascual. I am your host for today, and community organizer with ADAP Inc. So again, today we're gonna highlight the prevention and workforce and what we do here in, in LA County. Uh, we definitely wanna highlight the commitment that we have to the community, uh, we'll share our personal experiences and stories. Uh, definitely want to highlight mental health along with the prevention work. So uh, I'll, I guess we'll just get started. So my first question, and I'll direct it to Steve and Christine, Charles, you can chime in as well, is do you have a personal story that really attaches you to the substance abuse prevention work? Or is there something that makes you very passionate for the work that you do? Yeah, thanks so much, Marlon. Um, Fortunately and unfortunately, um, I, I have experience in, in, uh, in substance abuse, um, 23 years worth of, um, you know, damaging myself. And uh, I just never thought that I, I could come out of it when, especially at the end. So because of that, um, I, I just fell into this wonderful um, workforce and, and group of people that, that we assist other people. Um, I, sometimes I, I just even sitting here thinking about it, I can't believe that I'm where I'm at today because of my history. And um, it's just, it's been such an honor to be able to help other people. Um, I worked on an acute detox for 12 years prior to coming to the county and um, to, to help those people like I was coming into a program sick and not feeling good and not understanding my own thoughts um, to be able to help them. Um, really set the course for my life and I've just never stopped and um, it just I, I work with all these passionate wonderful people and um, it, it's really just made my life so fulfilled and uh, it, it just it, it's strange to say that something so negative turned into something so positive and sometimes even like I said just sitting here with you guys I can't believe that um, I feel this way about myself and and you know, the world around me. So I'm, I'm very pleased in, in that, but that I, my own history gives me the passion. Um, I always, uh, I always say that sometimes the worst, uh, you know, people that are, that have succumbed to substance abuse, the worst sometimes become the best advocates for recovery. And, um, and I think that's a big part of my story. Well, thank you for that insight to your life. And as you said, now you're, you're a light for our community especially as what we consider spot here, right? The South Bay and Harbor area, Inglewood. So thank you, Steve. Uh, 
anything is this anything similar for for you charles or christy or maybe it's a different insight different experience for your passion well i think for me uh and, and kind of uh piggybacking on the theme of um the intersection between recovery and, and prevention uh the program that i work for united coalition east it's a program of social model recovery systems but social model recovery systems were really pioneers in the treatment field um they opened the river community uh in azusa they began in 1986 but the river community was really one of the first programs to really address co-occurring disorders and looking at folks that were struggling with the challenges of addiction as well as uh as mental health challenges and i remember when i uh, applied and first started working for the company um many of my co-workers were were in uh, in recovery and first in the 12-step process and um and i remember having conversations about um, what that process was like and how healing and therapeutic it was but also have how folks felt the obligation to give back and to help others and to help the community and, and that that really uh intersected with my personal uh, uh journey myself and i liken my uh personal path to a, a form of recovery as well um looking more so about you know uh, being a black person in america there are a lot of issues that we face that people aren't really aware of around identity around culture and around how you're treated differently and when you're young you can't really process that but what happens a lot is that um uh for me my personal journey was a recovery from challenging all the the negative stereotypes about what it means to be black in america and what black people are expected to do and how black people are supposed to act and, and uh, that was a, a whole journey for me of self-discovery of really um which which I, I see the similarities for the recovery process is finding out who you are who are you why are you here what is your purpose what is your you know how how are you connected to others and uh, what does a healthy you look like and uh and that for me really uh has have become has become a passion in my life and when i first started working the work that we do is based here in, in the skid row community in downtown la and um i remember uh when i was interviewed for my position many many moons ago <laughs> back in uh 1999 I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit uh i remember one of the questions uh i was asked was how did i feel uh about working in this community and for me i thought it was kind of an odd question because on my way to the office i saw a, re a really uh disheartening levels of poverty but what i also saw was a black neighborhood and i felt comfortable like these people are like me these are my people like this is a, a this is my community and so i didn't i wasn't even aware of the 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 issues of, that many folks in Skiro were facing. I just saw people that looked like me and on my way, they spoke to me and they smiled and greeted me. And so uh, I didn't feel a sense of danger. Other folks passed through Skiro and they're like, oh my God, there's so many people and it's so dangerous and scary. I'm afraid to go down there. But every face is a person that has a life story, that has a family, that has children, that has, that they've done things that people want to do. I've met 
here working in the community, people that have done everything, supermodels, professional athletes. And so the message in that is really one of resilience, but uh, in the prevention field, I think the other thing that uh, I'm really passionate about is um, looking at this intersect between culture and resilience and the fact that the prevention work that we do is also multidisciplinary. We look at how to create healthy communities how to improve the neighborhood, how to partner with individuals. And, and, and that's one thing that, that I'm really passionate about in the work that I do. Awesome, awesome, Charles. Thank you for your commitment, 1999. Yeah, we're committed to this work. <laughs> All right, Christy, do you have anything to say? I'm so inspired already. I already love this talk. <laughs> but I mean, like Stephen and Charles, like I think, you know, what's important about this work um, really is it's it's connected to us through people we know. You gotta humanize it. You know, there's so much stigma around addiction and then we don't want to talk about it, but it affects our parents, our uncles, our aunts, our brothers, our sisters. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody knows somebody who hasn't struggled with it. So what speaks to me is humanizing the issue. And I think the one of the most beautiful elements in prevention is that we forgive. It's like you always have a chance to come back from it you have a chance to recover and become like Steven, like so, to be able to say a story like, and look at me now, that's like the best, I think, prevention person is someone who can share their story and can come back and give up that experience. So I think what really fires me up is um, these individual stories, as well as, you know, just really, if I believe in um, something I'm passionate about is equity and justice and looking at the built environment of, this didn't just seem to happen in some environments and not in other environments. This, this is a systemic problem. Why are we allowing certain things to happen in certain spaces? And how do we advocate to change those elements? So I think um, there's a lot of understanding and forgiveness. And again, sharing, sharing that responsibility, the accountability of what's happening to a person with the people who allow certain things to take place in different neighborhoods and environments. So. I'll stop there. I know we got a lot of conversation going on, but um, I'll stop there for now. Yeah, thank you. It's just just wonderful responses. You know, the bottom line is humanize it, right? That I connect with you, right? We, we there's some commonality between us, and you see that. You know, you said that you're passionate about equity and justice. You know, Charles says this is my my community, right? Identifying with the other. Uh, Stephen says, this is my experience. I can share that with others. So I think that's an important part. I, I see the same. You know, I've been working in Inglewood with you for over 10 years. And it was a different field. But now with being in substance abuse prevention, I, I believe in it, right? Because it's my community. You know, uh, the faces I see reminds me of the people that I grew up that were affected by substance abuse, right? So thank you so much uh, for sharing uh you know, what, what makes you tick, you know, why it makes you connect to our community, uh, why you're passionate about this work. So I have a second question and uh, I'll ask Charles this, you know, through your work, through your experience, uh, have you witnessed, what have you witnessed with the power of prevention? So we talked a lot about uh, recovery, right? The power of recovery. You know, we have Steven, our champion, her sharing his experience with his, the community. But what about the power of prevention? And is there any time with like mental health? Definitely. Uh, one thing I, I want to just kind of uh, highlight is the, that, that Christy touched upon is uh, looking at the 
the systemic like contributing factors. I think for me and the work that we do, that's really been key when we talk about prevention. Uh, many times when folks hear prevention, they, they go to this place of just say no, but that's not the work that we do. The work that we do is talking with community members and identifying what's, what's happening in the community, what contributes to the issues and how can we come up with solutions. And so for me, what I've seen and seeing the power of prevention, particularly here in Skid Row, is being able to amplify the voices of those who are impacted who have often been silenced because people are speaking on behalf of them. People are speaking on behalf of the poor. They're speaking on behalf of people experiencing homelessness and, and folks aren't at the table. And um, politically, uh, it's been a struggle for representation. There's been a fight in Skiro for, for decades to create a Skiro neighborhood council where the neighborhood tells the city what they would like to see. And, for me, I see that's part of what I see as the power of prevention and work that I've seen the testimony um, through through advocacy over the years, the community meetings that, that we host and participate in, the decision makers come to the table. They come to Skid Row meetings. They're there. We have represent uh, representatives from the local council office, the mayor's office, recreation and parks, all of those systems that affect the neighborhood through advocacy. Uh, folks would go to the public hearings and make noise and they were like, whoa, whoa, let's come to you, don't come to us. <laughs> uh, and that's the real leverage that you get because sometimes folks feel as if it's a poor neighborhood, you don't have political leverage, but you have their strength in numbers. And when you show up at public hearings and, and folks are embarrassed, then things start to change. And, and we've seen that. So we have collaborations with decision makers where folks that um, some folks who are unhoused formerly or currently are sitting at the table with decision makers and able to tell them this is what we need uh, and and the things that people need that they're, they're experts on so that's the other piece is being able to to really uh, as I mentioned uh, uplift the voices of those who are impacted they are experts if you say, Oh, what are the major uh, drug related issues in the community? They'll tell you, well, this place right here, they sell the miners. That place right there, you know, we got five liquor stores on one block. I don't know why, I don't know what's going on in the planning department, but they put five liquor stores <laughs> on one block. And so I think that's really the power. It's just um, the, the testimonies from people who are given opportunity to participate. The feedback from community members. So we do a lot of engagement in our local parks and community members, when I see them, they're always like, wow, you're the people that come to the park. We really appreciate what you do. It creates a whole new vibe, you know, the music, mm -hmm. the, the the opportunity to be represented. And then um, the other thing is uh, some local policies. Just, there have been local policies uh, around um, um, accessibility and efforts to limit over-concentration of alcohol outlets and uh, dispensaries and those type of things that, that really show the power of prevention to affect your environment and community. And lastly, uh, we're fortunate because of these connections and relationships to, to stay in touch with young people who are now adults that were came through our program. They're either working in prevention now or they're, um, they're, they're doing their own thing and they, they stay in touch and contact. And we did, a um, uh, we're working on an oral history project where we're catching up with folks that are now parents. And they talk about, and that's one challenge we have in prevention is really documenting the, the, the true impacts of our work. 
because how can you really show you prevented something? And the best way to do that is Artie's testimony where folks will say, you don't even realize how you changed my life by just listening to me. And we're mm -hmm. able to hear those testimonies because we keep those connections and relationships. So, so that for me is just a testimony to the power of prevention. Awesome. Awesome, Charles. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, when you said amplify their voices and, and I'm with you because uh, I remember in college, I read a book. I, I can't remember the author nor the book, but I remember it says like, I can't speak for them. So I, I stand with them, you know, but you amplify their voices and you give them this purpose, right? You give them this ability. They're not, especially in your community where maybe there's a lot of, at least from an outside perspective, right? Like, oh, there's a certain, uh, you know, people see the skid rope, but no, you know, you're creating these spaces where there's positive vibes, like you said, and it's changing lives, you know? So thank you so much, Charles, for, for sharing your experience. I, I don't know if Christy would like to follow up or Steven. Um, yes, definitely. Yes to everything Charles said. I think it it's a prevention village, right? And I think just like everything else, um, prevention evolved. Like I remember when I started at day one about 15 years ago, um, they were like, oh, those are the prohibitionists. And I was like, oh, what? what? <laughs> I was coming from higher education. I was like, I'm not trying to be a prohibitionist. But I think um, it's changed and like, we're not adversarial with the corner liquor store. We're not adversarial with the supermarket. Um, we, we now see them as partners in this prevention work, right? So it's like, they don't wanna sell to minors either. So I think it's coming in and sharing, sharing best practices and where we're at and creating this vision of what kind of community do we all wanna live in? We all wanna know each other. We all wanna be neighbors. We all want our kids to thrive. So I think it's coming together and creating this idea of what is our ideal neighborhood and how are we going to get there helping each other. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's when it really does work. And so it's kind of like looking at just the past few years and, you know, looking at CVS, again, putting people over profit. Like, I'm not going to sell um, cigarettes anymore. Who says that? Right? Like, we grew up in a time when I remember going to a restaurant. It's like, do you want the smoking section or the non-smoking? That's not there anymore. And people think this is impossible, but it is possible. It happened. Now we're looking at other things. So it's like, it really is, I think, again, um, if we want a, a better life, if we want to advance public health, um, it's kind of going back to what Charles says, we're in these neighborhoods. We know the people who live here. We help them raise their kids. You know, we're, we are the good community partner that shows up. Um, man, during COVID, we all became case managers. <laughs> you know, it was like, where do I get food? Where do I go for a shot? I can't access Wi-Fi. So, you know, I think we are the tr trusted partners in the community that people turn to for help. So I think like using that trust, it's our responsibility to advocate and help them create the communities they want to live in and make them better. So I think that's a really exciting part of our work. And um Together we make great things happen. I've seen so super, I've seen a, a, a street where it was like known to be a gang ridden street. And now the neighbors are out on Saturdays having coffee. It's coffee time because the neighborhood just decided to get out and make it happen. And it starts with one person. It really does. It becomes that one, oh, you need to know that one mom, that one mom knows all the moms. So those are the community champions that um, we work with and we know, and then we can like partner with to make great things happen in the neighborhoods. and. It's not rocket science. It doesn't take a ton of money. It just takes relationships. That's the truth. And that's it, right? Relationships. And like I said, we're not adversaries to everyone. 
you know, uh, they might think our natural forms maybe it is a liquor store, but it, it isn't. They're part of our community, right? They might think they're living, they have their families. You know, I, I remember the liquor stores I used to buy the chips, but it's best practices, right? Having that relationship where you can have those conversations and changes in the community. So thank you, Christy. Uh, Steven, any, any comment from you? Yeah, where do I begin? <laughs> um, I, I love what Christy's the, the community champions. I love that. That's great. And um, and Charles about the you know that he's he's maintaining contact with the people that he helped a long time ago. That's fantastic. Um, I, I think in the power of prevention, I got, there's so many things. I think the one thing is the people, like you said, um, seeing the faces, helping someone that's not feeling well. I think that's and maybe even watching their light turn on, you know, um, watching that little bit of hope or glimmer of hope, you know, come into their, their world. Um, and then to have somebody you see years later, as, as Charles was saying, you know, and, and, and sometimes you don't even recognize them because they've just made such a beautiful turnaround. And, um, and it's just, it, it just becomes so passionate when, you know, you might have just helped one person. Um, as Chris, it starts with one person and maybe they've gone to help other people as well. Um, uh, I just started an outreach with the core center and going into the encampments and things. That was an experience as Charles said, there's so much, uh, I mean, there's stigma and addiction in, in the substance abuse as well, but also in, in with the homeless, as Charles was saying, my goodness, you know, that was a new experience for me. I, I have to say that I had, I, you know, my heart was racing. I was a little fearful going into a community that I didn't understand and to have them come out and start talking to you and explain to you what's been going on in their lives. And it, it was, it just really changed my thoughts on things personally. And, um, you know, and as well, one of the things that I've seen change through my 14 years of uh, working in the field is the stigma issue that people are really starting to open up to, um, you know, people getting better, you know, or, or that it is a disease and not just, you know, uh, that that person's an addict. Um, um, as well, I've seen harm reduction really take place um, in going out in the encampments. We're handing out naloxone and to the people because of the, uh, the the amount of fentanyl that's coming in and the overdoses, and we're and we're handing out um, naloxone and we're uh, and they're they understand what it is and, and they, because they've seen something and um, for us to be out there, to be able to uh, give them some hope, um, uh, provide them with some services. Uh, we went out with nurses that were doing um, COVID tests um, and just to give that community some assistance that I feel they really, you know, maybe in the past they might not have been able to receive. And now I think because that level of stigma is going down and we have people like us that are going out there and helping, I think, I think we're really doing a wonderful service. Um, I've also seen the mental health aspect of this really um, take a turn. Whereas we're, um, I, I see, you know, whole person care. I, I see the whole person being cared for now. Whereas 14 years ago, um, they would just concentrate on, <clears throat> pardon me, the addiction. Um, versus, you know, seeing the person as, you know, let's look into why um, instead of just, well, we need to just fix this person. And I think that's been a real, real wonderful uh, change for me to see is that we're looking at the person's history. We're seeing if they've had childhood trauma. We're, um, we're 
kind of like a we're kind of embarking on a journey with the person to really, really help everything about the person, not just the fact that the person might have a substance dependency. Um, that's one thing I've really seen change for the better. Um, and then the harm reduction, such as the, uh, the naloxone that we're trying to get out there right now to help the people, um, to maybe save some people overdose. Uh, it's just, I, you know, it, it's this this work that I do now is so much different than what I did before in the detox. Because in the detox, you have the specific job that you're doing, and now we have the ability to just really get out there and meet all these wonderful people like you guys, and then as well try to really get out there and just serve our community. And it's, it's my passion is coming back as well um, because you know COVID really, you know, we were at home for a long period of time, and we weren't really being able to get out there and assist the community. And now it's, now it's coming back again. And so I, I, am starting to see some real benefits and, 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 and that, and like I said, really being able to see the faces of the people we're assisting and, and, and to show them that, uh, as Charles said, that they, they do have a voice and that uh, we can care for them. I think it's been really special. I wanted to add one other thing real quick that, uh, just in the prevention, we've been using this mantra that, <laughs> um connection is the opposite of addiction and that really is um to the and to the point as you mentioned just how uh COVID has impacted folks there have been increases in you know mental health challenges substance abuse and mm -hmm. so that concept of community is more important than ever and and we were fortunate as Christy uh, mentioned to to um be able to respond in real time and so um we when a lot of folks were safer at home, we were trying to figure out how we can support community members that had no one. And so we were able to um, to keep this sense of connection and community, um, but also to to uh, to the, the intersection, as, as Stephen mentioned, with mental health as well, that community building also supports mental health and, um, and it helps to lessen trauma exposure. And so there's also an inter intersection there. Uh, one of the things that um, uh, community folks identify, um, we did a survey, a stress and coping survey around COVID. And one of the biggest things that people identified as a, as a coping strategy was community. Being able to talk to other people was number one. And the number two thing they had identified was listening to music. So that's powerful, just the power of music to heal and to connect uh, and the therapeutic aspects of that. Uh, we, we incorporate into the work we do here in the community, but um, they also mentioned exercise. They mentioned talking to healthcare providers, but they were a little lower down on the list. And so just shows how the power of community building and culture uh, is, it helps to support resilience. Yeah, those are awesome points, right? Staying connected with your community. And I, I think earlier in the discussion, we talked about everyone kind of having their story, right? And everybody's story matters. And I think uh, Stephen was able to kind of show that through his experience, right? He said he went into a neighborhood he didn't understand, but when he started listening to who they are, right? Their experiences and so forth, that he was able to connect with them. And I think that's what we do, right? We connect and being part of that connection where we listen to someone's story, you know, one on one basis or even from a survey, how to cope. You know, that's what we're trying to do is connect with their communities and provide everything they need uh, for substance abuse prevention and mental health support. So thank you so much uh, for these responses. Um, so we have our, our last question. Um, 
So I think, you know, prevention workforce is a purpose-driven career. So, uh, Christy, can you expand on why, like, this prevention work is a purpose-driven career? Like, why is it that? You know, I think um, just listening to Charles and Stephen and this conversation today, like, we know prevention takes heart. You need to have heart. Like, this is a human issue. So I think, um, again, stepping away from only one person, too, like, I think when you're really doing effective prevention, you understand that you're not just helping one person, you're helping an entire community. That's the truth. And I wrote this quote, uh, I captured a take because I want to share it with y'all, but it's my new favorite. And it says, the soil in which we're rooted, the branches on which we grow. And I mean, visually, I think it makes you understand, like, it doesn't matter. Like, unless you take care of the soil, that root, that, that where you're growing people, families, that community, wellness, if it's not there, you're not gonna raise like thriving people, thriving children, healthy children, right? So I think that's where I keep going back to that built environment um, and giving it some accountability for some of the problems we have. You know, I think we need to understand how are we systematically, what kind of cities, what kind of communities are we designing? And what's the difference between like these affluent areas and the low income areas and who lives there and the businesses we allow there and all that. Like you can't talk about prevention without talking about it. Um, because I'll tell you, if I go down the street um, to South Pasadena or San Marino, um, I'm not going to see the same amount of smoke shops, liquor stores, um, check cashing places as I do in Northwest Pasadena. So again, we need to ask why. Why are we allowing that? So that's a big, um, not only question for me, but it's a passion point for me as far as advocacy and what we do as prevention people. Now, going deeper into that question, I think. Um, Regularly, we all we all are able to do what we do through funding, right? Like grants and um, from foundations or the state or the county, and they will always always ask me like, "What are you most proud of?" That's a question, and my answer is consistently, um, out of all the years I've been at Day One, what I'm most proud of is to be able to say that six of my full time staff members are students that I've mentored since they were 12, students that grew up with me, went off to college, got their degrees and came back. And not only did they improve themselves, but they broke the poverty cycles in their family. And when I mean poverty, it's not just poverty, but it's also like these cycles, these cycles of addiction and you know bad habits and things that usually pull down an entire family. And again, going back to that one person, when it breaks with that one person, it affects everybody else in that family. When I, when I get Eric to go to college, so will his younger brother and sister. Things change. With that one person, everything changes. And then that block changes, and then the neighborhood changes, and the community changes. And I think that is just my favorite thing in the world. So I think like bringing back those students and knowing, again, they're safe with us. We love them. We care for them. We want them to do well. That I, we will stay up countless hours in the night writing grants so we can give them jobs. So like parents that don't believe in college, don't say like, oh, what's college for? Just go get a job. That's not for our kind. And then you come back and you go, no, it is for you. And I will help you get your first job. And we all know like it's that first job that leads to 10 better jobs after that. So I think again, um, once they come to us, they stay with us, not just for the period of like the spark of adolescence, but we go to their weddings and we see their children and we go to all these situations in their lives. And again, it, it starts and ends with relationships. I guess that's the best way I could frame it. Um, so 
Yeah, I'll leave it to the to the other guys to chime in. But <laughs> I might come back, but that's enough for now. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. I was laughing uh, just. I, um, I'm listening that we had one community member in particular, and he would just always come to the office and he was asked, what do you guys do? <laughs> like, he just completely did not understand. It's like, I don't know what you do. What do you do? <laughs> and, it was, and it was challenging to explain like how embedded our prevention work was uh, and how, you know, our, our, our work really was collaborating with community members to improve the neighborhood. And, and one thing that we've seen here in Skid Row is this has also led to the creation of jobs. Um, the lack of access to public restrooms was a major issue here. And uh, community members designed a hygiene center and named it the Skid Row Community Refresh Spot. Um, partner got resources from the mayor's office from Lhasa and were able to create a center that's open 24 hours where people can go um, take showers do their laundry um, use the restrooms charge their phone have access to drinking water and one of the biggest things as I mentioned earlier that community members wanted was just a safe place to relax listen to music and connect with other community members a place where people are treated with dignity. And so uh, the work that we do also creates uh, opportunities that didn't exist previously to address these, these uh, uh, social determinants of health and these community uh, issues that are, that are harming individuals. And I think uh, that's one thing I wanna stress is just thinking outside the box, uh, just like uh, um, social enterprise, like engaging folks that are impacted and creating their own businesses and being able to give back and being able to support the community because um, we see these intersecting issues, uh, poverty and the work that we do is, is, is fundamental, uh, poverty and, it, and how it contributes to mental illness, how it contributes to substance abuse. And so, um, and, and to, to, to Christy's point as well, just um, being able to, uh, to show community members that uh, your advocacy can create uh, employment opportunities. We've been able to expand uh, employment at our local parks to improve the parks and to hire local, park, um, local folks to, to help manage the parks uh, and to have a presence there. Um, and so, there's also uh, opportunities just for looking at um, land use. Why why are certain uses allowed? Who's in charge? Who's the, who <laughs> who works in the planning department? Why don't we have people from our neighborhood working in, in planning? You know, it leads to leadership opportunities. Folks that that want to explore uh, career careers in politics and um, and education. Uh, and and lastly, I think uh, just looking at just spinoff. Uh, opportunities to to provide support. Um, diet is a whole another crucial piece that's connected to culture, healthy food access, foods that are culturally appropriate, uh, and then um, and healing rituals. We talk about trauma exposure. How do you support the healing rituals of the community? How how people can support their resiliency? How people can can stay healthy? Um, so just looking at public health in general, there are a lot of intersecting paths to uh, employment where you can help to improve your own life, improve the life of your neighbors and your community and neighborhood as well. So when we talk about purpose-driven careers, that's really embedded in, in the prevention work that we do. All right, thank you, uh, Charles. How about yourself, Steven? Absolutely. Um, 
I, I love what Christian Charles both said. That's I've seen so many people uh, when the light turns on that they want to find something purpose, you know, purposeful to do. And I think this this field especially um, is great for people. I think who've had some adversity in their lives because I think we have a passion to help other people. Um, and in seeing that, um, I, I've just like myself, I just fell into this career and it's been such a blessing. And I think, you know, I'm always out there telling people like, Hey, you know, you should really check into this. And, and I see other people as well. So as Christy was saying, you know, it takes a village and, and our village is getting bigger for sure. And um, I think as well, as we were talking about earlier with stigma lessening about th these things, um, um, I think people are finding inspiration in, in, in helping other people um, make a life for themselves. And uh, I, I really, really, really think this particular things, the things that we're doing is just so, so purpose-driven. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of rewards behind it. And just knowing that you're helping someone, just knowing that you're maybe making someone's day better, you know, um, and just talking to people and maybe getting them through uh, something that they're going through. And in doing that, I think there's just, uh, I just think it's just been such a blessing, you know, and, uh, and, and again, as we do at our, what we do at work, uh, all of us in, in our networking and meeting each other, um, you know, and, and knowing that we have this whole group of people that are out there just fighting the battle to, to, to help one person, just one person, you know, I think it's so special. I really, it's, it's just been, it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah, I uh, thank you. And, you know, uh, for me, I, I think prevention work is just so important. I mean, just listen to our responses, right? And, and how we're connected with the communities and bringing resources and working with youth and there's jobs later, or, you know, they thank you for all the work that, and investment you do in their community, right? Or you're able to share your personal experience. And before this, you know, honestly, I didn't know of the prevention workforce, to be honest. I knew maybe like treatment services, right? And, and I, again, I've worked with youth for 10, 15 years now. I, I ran a youth, uh, two youth centers for a while and I couldn't tell you like where to go. So I think it's so important to have this conversation, uh, not just for National Prevention Week, but you know, who is prevention, right? Like, you know, it's community members in the community, essentially, right? We're part of our community. So you know, I'm from Inglewood, you know? I was maybe not born and raised, but I'm from Inglewood. That's my community. You know, I love Inglewood. I've been there for a while now. I, I know, you know, parents that they bring me their little kids in their middle school. I'm like, what? Like, how? You were just so little, you know? And and I think it's important for the community to hear this, right? That there's resiliency. That, that word I've heard many times, especially from Charter. This community resiliency. Uh, you know, substance abuse doesn't have to be cyclical, right? It can be a tree, right? Where we're we're, we're, we're allowing these opportunities and sharing this information where they can grow into these trees and the community benefits from the branches and the fruits that it gives, right? And I just want to thank each of one of you for, for, you know, sharing the work, you know, your passion, your commitment, and your investment into your communities because it does go a long way. And I hope people can know more of us, you know, participate with us because again, we're amplifying their voices, you know, we're working with in tandem with the community. So thank you so much. I don't know if there's any uh, closing comments 
one, or anything one, else that each of you want like to share? Yeah, just one quick one because I, I think we've we've touched on 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 a lot. Uh, just uh, what you just mentioned reminded me of um, just another word: consistency. Like that mm. is something that that is really uh, key to the effectiveness of our work. Is being consistent, being present, uh, being accessible, being responsive. But to that point, to to support, and I talked about my the, how long I've been working here. Part of that also is uh, making sure that we have resources to support prevention, that we invest mm -hmm. in prevention, because that's been a challenge. Because people don't understand prevention, it doesn't get the resources that it should have, and so we definitely need mm -hmm. to advocate that we expand dedicated resources to to support a range of prevention efforts. And I would like to second with Charles's motion. <laughs> no, really, I think I think we live in a world that usually we don't we don't do something until something bad happens. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's why people don't understand prevention, right? They're like, oh, what are you what are you doing? Well, it'll cost you a lot less if you invest in prevention instead of waiting and looking at the hospital fees for all the overdoses and everything else that's like, you know in care support services at schools and everywhere else, right? So, um, but on a lighter note, I'll tell you this too, since we're talking about a purpose-driven career is that um, like Charles, I've been here for a long time and a lot of us who are passionate about this work stay here. And um, I didn't come in here with that intention. I came here, you know, young guy, ready to go five years, next move, bigger move. And then you, I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the work. And I think a part of that is Prevention is everything. And I'm someone who gets bored very quickly. <laughs> and I, I have not been bored in 15 years. No, because again, prevention is art and advocacy. Prevention is community placemaking. It's neighborhood building. It's like so many different policy. So I think in prevention, so much lives in there that you don't really have a chance to get bored. If you're somebody who does get bored quickly, prevention is a great job for you. Um, I think you can, it could be anything really. Um, it is, it is everything. So I'm just, I just wanted to add that a little on a lighter note. Um, there's a lot of benefits to our work that make it super enjoyable to me, as well as the, you know, the biggest, most meaningful factor of it is watching people thrive because of maybe something small that you did. I, I love, I, I was at a um, school district public hearing once and a teacher, uh, a parent was sitting behind me and she just nudged my shoulder and she goes, you did the skills program and you changed my son's life. Thank you so much. And she pulled out her pen and wrote a check for $100. And I knew $100 meant so much more to her than it would probably meant to our program. But I mean, I, I, I've been taught to accept, humbly accept and say thank you because it meant that much because you saved my son's life. And I think that's what prevention does. Um, so cool stuff, cool stuff. Great afternoon with you guys. Mm -hmm. You have any comments yourself, uh, Steve? No, I just wanted to really thank you guys for having me. This has just been wonderful. And, and uh, to be able to just have a nice conversation about what we do and, and how we can, you know, just even just, I, I've gained several ideas just from being here about how, you know, just to, to keep it going, you know, to assist my community, you know. So I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. It's honor I appreciate you. everybody here. <laughs> Yeah, and thanks for moderating, Marlon. Yeah, great job. Keeping, keeping us on point. Yeah. Uh, thank you.
All right. As we wrap things up, I want to thank uh, Chrissy Samani, Executive Director at Day One. We have Charles uh, Porter, Project Coordinator at Social Model Recovery Systems, United Coalition East. And then we have Stephen Cagle with Substance, uh, Substance Abuse Counselor at CORE at the Curtis Tucker uh, Center of Community Wellness out in Inglewood, California, representing the South Bay and Harbor area. And again, my name is Morning Pascual. I'm a community organizer with ADAP. And thank you for being part of this special presentation of Prevention 365 podcast in partnership with the Department of Public Health here in Los Angeles, the Substance Abuse Prevention and Control. And usually we say we do uh, prevention every day in every way, but as uh, part of this conversation, prevention is everything. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.